Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. One by one, we will be spoiler-free of details of future episodes, but we will have full spoilers on for any details we need to pull out from previous episodes that we've discussed. I'm Jason, and I spent way too much time trying to say that weird word for auction that's in this episode <laughs> with the click in the middle. <laughs> and I'm Harrison, and like Cordelia, I too am curious, what is a rogue demon? Uh, Jason, tell me, what episode are we watching today? Harrison, today we are watching Angel, Season 1, Episode 10, Parting Gifts. This is the one where Doyle's absence is felt, but it's okay because he gets replaced with another pale, skinny white dude. <laughs> From the UK. Yep. <laughs> uh, Parting Gifts was written by David Fury and Janine Renshaw and directed by James A. Contner and originally aired on December 14th, 1999. And Jason... By the way, um, oh. I should uh, I should say... Uh, Sorry, excuse me one minute. Hi, Batman. Bye, Batman. So, um, I should say that uh, I immediately regret my previous comment because uh, I do believe Doyle is from was from Dublin, which is not in the UK. And I feel like there would be people who would kill me for saying that it was. So I retract uh-uh. that. Let's just say uh, from from Europe. Yeah, there we go. Europe. I mean, um, this is, Jason, our very last uh, 90s episode. We are leaving the 90s and heading into the aughts. And I just... What a, this is what the a last time we've been we'll, on. This is the last time we'll get to party like it's 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just just a mere two weeks away from the complete breakdown of, of society upon the uh, upon the arrival of Y2K. Um, Harrison, there are probably yeah. some people listening to this that don't even know what Y2K is. That's true. So for any listeners <laughs> who might be too young to know, Y2K, uh, basically it was this like mass hysteria that... Um, w- at midnight on New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety nine, that um, like all the computers in the world would get like all fucked up by moving from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand, and like yeah, they'd have to reset the last two digits of their dates. Yeah, and and, and yeah, so there was this fear that like everything was going to collapse. Um, and fun fact, it didn't. Um, it was a really stupid fear. The The computers just went, hey, guess what? We're computers, and we understand that the, the number 2000 comes after the number 1999. Um, it, was, it was dumb. It was real dumb. <laughs> um, but there were people who, like, legit bought into this and, like, like were buying, like, buying up, like, canned foods and, like, like... It was ridiculous. Yeah, the doomsday preppers were in uh, full... They were in full power. Yeah. They're still doomsday preppers to this day, so... 
They just find a know, new maybe... doomsday to prep for every time the last one isn't doomsday. <laughs> it, it reminds me of that uh, group of the people Parks from Rec Parks and Rec. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but hey, you know what? Let's get into the episode and do some intro yeah. music. Jason, what are you drinking this week? Um, well, I'm a. I, it's it's really hard to explain. I had like a couple bottles of red wine that were um, like almost empty or less than half full. So I decided to, uh, you know, I finished off one, filled up this glass with what was left in one. And then uh, in case I do make it through this, because it's not exactly a full glass, as you can see, I've got another um like low on qu- low on quantity uh bottle at the ready i was so afraid that you were about to tell me that you had, do you remember what like as a kid being at the fast food restaurant and making what we called a suicide which was just yeah pouring a little bit of every soda into the cup well i, I couldn't was very do that because i couldn't drink soft drinks <laughs> oh that okay I forget all the time, but yeah, that was like a thing. It was it was called a suicide, and yeah, you would just pour like yeah, a little no, bit I of remember. into one cup, and I was really worried that that's what you were about to tell me you had done with your wine. Uh, no, this is a um, this is a Cabernet Sauvignon, and this is a um, Chamborquin. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, I don't fucking know, man. I, I don't know. I'm I'm no I'm no sommelier, so. Um, all I know is that they are two different types of red wine, and I respect the differences in red wines to not mix two different red wines together. Um, so I finally am like drinking out of the uh, out of the box as I've been like saying I'm going to for weeks now, and I'm mixing it up. I've got myself a screwdriver. Ooh, um, I love those. Yeah. Uh, it just worked out that we actually had like two things that could be mixed together and not be a monstrosity. Um, <laughs> when is that ever stopped t- you? You know, I'm always, well, I'm always bitching. I'm like, before we start recording, I'm like, God damn it. Like all we have is wine and I wanted to do something different and interesting. And John's like, Harrison, like, you have a car. You can go to the liquor store. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that, John. Like... He's not wrong. I, I'm not. I'm going to sit, sit here and whine about a problem that is very easily solved, but not that do anything is, uh, about that it. That is textbook you. Just call me Congress. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, but no, uh. Good, good drink choice uh, with the screwdriver. So, a toast. Um, uh, well, you know what? I was thinking about what to toast for, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll decide to get a little personal here. Um, audience, uh, Monday, I had a little bit of a revelation about myself. Um, as I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, I went to, um, I went to UofL and uh, got a degree in physics. Um, 
but uh, I met Harrison and several of my other closest friends through the theater. So um, throughout my life, there's always been kind of this uh, duality of what I have come to call the rational and the fantastic. And uh, I've often let the rational kind of overwhelm the fantastic and be like, okay, I need to like keep my feet on the ground instead of, you know, letting, letting my spirit kind of fly. And, uh, I made that realization and decided to, uh, you know, kind of put together sort of like a little new life philosophy and move forward where both those parts of me are working in tandem together. So I will raise a glass to both the rational and the fantastic. Cheers. Cheers. Mm, that's good Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. That's good OJ and vodka. <laughs> John hates it when I say OJ, so I say it a lot. Really? Why? Oh, yeah. Because John hates <laughs> things that are, like, cutesy. <laughs> Unless he's weaponizing the word spoopy against me because he knows I hate the word spoopy. That's just, you know, that's how we are. We know what the other hates and what annoys the other, and we just make sure to and weaponize And you use it against, against them. them. <laughs> um, that's what marriage is. It's a war. And I always, I'm vicious, um, and I will win. I always, uh, I always see, like, anytime I think of OJ... I think of the first place that I ever really heard somebody say OJ. And do you remember the cartoon show that was a spinoff of Looney Tunes, but just focused on Taz, the Tasmanian devil? Oh, you know what? I, yeah, I I remember it existing. I I don't think I could tell you much else. First of all. When you have the time, go to YouTube and watch the intro because it is basically Australia the song. Okay. Um, that sounds but familiar, also, yeah. But yeah, um, it, it focused on Taz and his family. And you would think like his entire family was like Taz, you know, just going around speaking and um, like you couldn't understand him. But it turns out that they were all actually kind of well-spoken, normal people. And Taz is just this weird guy in their family. <laughs> but um, Taz's dad would always uh, would always try to like bring the family together with like a toast. And he would say, like, oh, with a cool glass of OJ. And, you know, blah, blah, yakety schmackety. <laughs> and <laughs> and that's, that's what I always think of whenever I hear somebody say OJ. Nice. Which... You would think that having grown up in the 90s, I would have thought of something else concerning OJ, but I don't. I, it's, I, I immediately go to Mr. Mr. Uh, Taz Sr. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I have thought about that show in so long. Was Taz, was the Tasmanian Devil really, really popular enough to warrant his own spinoff? Like, people love Taz. Like, I believe okay. he was... I don't think he was in that in those initial Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, you know, you had like Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, uh, Sylvester, Daffy Duck. Um, you had like all of those. I think he was kind of a later addition, and mm. maybe because he was a new character, kids loved him. I mean, he like got to spin around and wreck stuff and everything. So yeah, kind of like no, kids would fair. love that. But yeah, um, he totally had his own spinoff. 
So not to get us like totally derail us completely before we even get going, but did you see that people uh, on the internet were um, both simultaneously angry um, that Lola Bunny in the new Space Jam is either, depending on who you ask, too sexy or not sexy enough? And it was very stupid. I mean... I mean, if you've seen the original Space Jam, you could tell that she was meant to be a sexy bunny for Bugs Bunny to ogle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But she was also really good at basketball. She was, like, the only Looney Tune that could play basketball. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I Very mean, much it, that trope of, like, the... Um, um, she, she's, she's one of the guys, but she's still hot. And, like... <laughs> Um, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend does an excellent parody of that trope with the song Ping Pong Girl where uh, Rebecca um, uh, imagines herself being like this goddess of ping pong to impress uh, Josh Chan but she's also like wearing like this super hot outfit while she does it but like she doesn't even care that she's hot she's just so good at ping pong it's really good Um, anyway this is (laughs) So far off from what we're here to do. <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, oh yeah, parting gifts. Um, this episode opens up uh, with Angel going to the oracles. Yep. And he has the straight asked lady them, oracle and the gay boy oracle. Yeah. And uh, by the way, can we talk about how much of an asshole this male oracle is? He's a dick. <laughs> like he's such a bitch. The Lady Oracle is at least, um, like, tr- like kind of, like, like she's not helpful, but she's... She's, she's fair. She's, yeah, she's empathetic, and, and, you know, she seems to sympathize. The guy's just like, dude, I, I've i got a really hot guy back here that I'm trying to get with right now. I do not have time for you, Angel. Which really... Well, now I'm questioning whether or not he's gay if he's, like, not I got time for Angel. Anyway... <laughs> oh no he's the theory buster <laughs> but uh yeah um angel has asked the oracles to reverse time so that he can prevent doyle's death but um they said that doyle sacrificed himself to save angel's life and bringing him back would you know it, it would mean that his sacrifice meant nothing mm-hmm. and I'm with the female oracle on this one. Uh, I don't want ever want to be with the male oracle because that, that's just like, I feel like I'd be a bitch by association. <laughs> um, but uh, no, like what they're saying is totally makes sense um, because what happened when they reversed time initially when Angel gained his humanity um, was because he was the champion that the powers that be had chosen, one of the champions, and um but he was taken away from them and uh and also like it was it was very much a um it was very much a sacrifice of angels to reverse time and give up being with buffy in this case um it's a very selfish thing that he's asking for and again he is the champion not doyle and also yeah. i mean we talked we spent a whole episode talking about how important this ep- how important hero was to doyle his actions in that and 
yeah, like taking all that away would be a disservice to the character, would be a disservice to everything that they're working for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she says to Angel, like, he died so that you would live and you live so that others will live. And it was, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it obviously, Doyle's sacrifice in the moment was a big deal. It, he saved a lot of people um, just, just by that act alone. But because Angel didn't sacrifice himself, you know, that Doyle sacrifice is going to have ripple effects of, of helping other people that, um, that Angel's going to help. Um, yeah. And, and I like when Angel pulls out what he thinks is his Trump card. He's like, well, fine, all of that. But guess what? I don't have anyone to give me visions now. And the oracles are like, bitch, wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to say, uh, got another pop culture aside here but um bringing that up um makes me think of the character of spock in the star trek franchise Mm. um obviously spock sacrificing himself in the wrath of khan sorry by the way i guess this is spoilers for star trek um but i mean the wrath of khan (laughs) came out in 80 the wrath of khan came out in 82 so i mean i think we're past the spoiler limit on that one yeah i think so uh but yeah, um, that made total sense. Spock sacrificed himself to save the uh, to save the crew of the Enterprise, and um, but then Kirk and Kirk gets the gang together to find a way to bring Spock back to life, and uh, and they always and when Spock asked why he did that. Um, Vulcans are to Vulcans are fond of the phrase the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. In this case, um, Kirk says to him, "The needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many," and uh, and it's something that you really don't see develop until later on in Spock's later appearances, like past the original series adventures. But Spock does have a lasting influence on things throughout the Federation. And if mm-hmm. if Kirk hadn't gone and brought him back to if Kirk and the crew hadn't gone back and brought him to life, then that wouldn't have happened. So it's yeah. it's a very kind of long game. I mean, you, you could say that like oh, different creators, uh, different writers, uh, they probably didn't take that into mind. But I mean, Spock became an important character and remained an important character even into the uh, the Kelvin timeline. So yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, I- I was gonna say he remains an important character up to and even beyond um uh Leonard Nimoy's death. Yes. Um which, you know, what a legacy to leave behind. Yeah. Uh, uh RIP. Um I think it I think the anniversary of his death was just a few weeks ago, maybe. Oh um oh. too. So but yeah, RIP. RIP Leonard Love Nimoy. Love you, man. Um the oracles do tell Angel that uh, they say, when one door closes, another door opens. And then the uh, the, bitchy, the bitchy male one's just like, oh, when one door closes, then f- flings Angel out of there. So <laughs> Then fuck off. <laughs> one door closes, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. He's basically like, either get that sexy ass back here or <laughs> goodbye. Okay. <laughs> Um, but, uh, right before the intro scene, uh, the, right before the, uh, intro music on Angel, 
uh, we see a kind of red-faced demon with a couple little horns uh, running from a mysterious black-clad motorcycle rider. Very much giving you the, uh, like, Terminator and T2 vibes. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, and then we cut to the credits, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed these credits because obviously, given the events of this episode, they are about to change in our next Angel episode. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that we do get one last little kind of glimpse at uh, Doyle in the opening credits of this episode. It's kind of yeah. like a kind of like a nice kind of like yeah, you know what? Like I mean we you're still here in spirit so yeah and i mean i think the practical reason is that they didn't want to put alexis dennis off in the credits before he even appeared properly like on the show even um, though his name appears is, yeah, in the guest stars so yeah that's true um yeah but um uh yeah it's nice to be like you know because this episode is i mean last week was Doyle you know Doyle's death but this week feels more like this is Doyle's goodbye or I guess Angel and Cordelia saying goodbye um to Doyle um and the show saying goodbye to Doyle um and but uh yeah. yeah so we are at we are at um Angel Investigations which has gotten a little smaller um Cordelia is trying to find uh Doyle's uh special coffee mug which isn't a thing she just needs something to kind of be like it's like doyle isn't even here and Mm um yeah and and angel's like hey you know what like let's try to you know take the day off for yourself and cordy immediately is like no you're trying to push me away (laughs) and i'm staying here be here for each other support each other emotionally oh actually sorry i have to go (laughs) yeah (laughs) i gotta go because she has an audition uh it's a national or otherwise she would have blown it off um yeah uh this cordelia's through line in this episode of needing to um needing to have something of doyle's um to remember him by uh really hit me in a different way on this watch having um you know as uh, I, I lost my grandmother to COVID last, uh, uh, last late last summer. And I went through a lot of this sort of stuff afterwards. Cause my grandma didn't, you know, she was, she lived in a nursing home. She really didn't have any things. Um, so we didn't really have stuff of hers. Like my mom got some jewelry of hers. Um, but like, um, and you know, and we hadn't gotten to see her at all. Um, the last time I, she, she passed in August and the last time I had seen her was at Christmas. And then of course we went into lockdown and I didn't get to, um, so there's like Cordelia's through line in this episode of not having something to help her move through the grieving process, something tangible. I really felt that. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think, um, just in general, I feel like uh, stories that deal with grief, when you revisit them later on in your life, they mm-hmm. hit a little harder every time because, unfortunately, a fact of life is we lose people and we deal with grief, and um, we that only happens more 
as we get older mm-hmm. uh so yeah. and um but you know it it makes those stories better i'd say yeah because yeah it, it enriches them like um i i mentioned it on here before probably one of my favorite movies ever is big fish and mm-hmm. um that uh there's obviously themes of loss in that but uh, the first time I watched it was around the time when it came out. So I believe I was still in grade school. Um, I know because we rented that movie from a Hollywood video. Um, nice. But the, uh, the next time that I saw it wasn't until, I believe, sometime in college or maybe afterwards. Um, and uh, yeah, all the stuff just hit so hard. And um, mm-hmm. it was like yeah this movie's brilliant in every way yeah and one of tim Tim burns best it's funny how maybe not funny but um it's interesting how like yeah it's different things that hit you um like yeah to use the big fish example the first time i saw it i was in high school and what i really took away from it like i was like obviously there was like this emotional component and i got that but what I took away from it was like the more fantastical uh, sides of the story. And then as I've gotten older, I really start to latch on to the the, the, the framing device, essentially, which is the more grounded human um, side. And particularly that final scene at the funeral when um, oh my gosh. all the people from the story show up at the funeral. It's like, I'm getting chills. Oh, <laughs> It's yeah, as we yeah. get older and we experience these things more, we you know, we we I I I truly don't believe that there's really any such thing as like passive uh art media consumption. We're always putting a little something of ourselves into it as we're watching. Um so yeah. 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 Um but yeah, uh Cordelia does however have to uh, go to an audition. Um, as she's leaving, uh, the, she opens the door and there is a demon, uh, the demon who we saw being chased by the motorcycle dude. Um, and uh, he kind of immediately uh, says like, oh yeah, you're going to audition, an audition, aren't you? And she's like, what? He's like, oh, I kind of got the idea kind of got the feeling that you got some stage jitters just you know imagine the audience she's like in their underwear i was gonna say dead but if the underwear thing works for you so (laughs) and you know have you ever done that by the way have you ever like imagined the audience Uh, in their underwear no i don't yeah i i don't really get well i mean i don't want to say i don't get stage fright i i have but it's it's not I think at this it, point we've both been on yeah. stage so many times that it, like, we would have to really be out of our element to uh, yeah. get stage fright. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't, don't have a problem. What? Oh, I, I was gonna say I don't have a problem standing in front of people and uh, and like singing or acting or hell even dancing. But I, I remember the first time I had to give a physics presentation in college and uh, that was my first time like really giving like a real scientific um, mm-hmm. research presentation and uh, that was uh, 
a little nerve-wracking. But in the end, I kind of like just drew on my theater experience, and I was just like, oh, it all felt natural. Yeah, I just yeah, I always feel really comfortable like like in front of a in front of an audience. Um, I I might sometimes get like a little bit of jitters like right at the very beginning of the like before my first entrance or something but like once i'm on stage and i'm like in the flow i'm i'm really not it's thinking a rush, about man yeah i'm not thinking about that because i'm you know i'm focused on the show and like um the only time i really ever i think have those tr- moments where i actually do get like real stage fright is if i'm is if i'm singing um and it's and I'm singing a little out of my comfort zone because I'm not a singer. I've had to sing for roles, but I'm not like a trained singer or anything. Um, so so that gets me out of my comfort zone a little sometimes. But I've never tried the picture of the audience in their night underwear rule or trick because, I don't know, I feel like I'd, that would distract me more. <laughs> I, yeah, that's I a lot like of that's... like mental effort when I like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be like, okay, what are they wearing? Uh, probably, you know, just boxers. Uh, this person. Uh, oh, no, yeah, that that's... guy's commando. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to see uh, that. They... Yeah, and then like people are watching you just staring at them, looking at them like... <laughs> The fuck's his problem? <laughs> the whole show comes to a halt because they're just like staring at the audience. What do you but look hey, like, I mean, kid? But hey, I mean, if that works for you, if you like somebody who suffers from stage fright and that works for you, imagine the audience in their underwear or dead, then I guess whatever works. Um, uh, the demon uh, introduces himself as Barney and he says that he is an empath. And uh, he is looking for help from Angel. He doesn't. He does not want this guy to. Uh, he does not want this guy on the motorcycle to kill him. <laughs> so uh, Angel's a little on edge. One because of the Doyle stuff. Like it's still fairly fresh. Mm-hmm. He's still mad at the oracles. And honestly, if I had to talk to that male or- oracle, I probably would be too. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, and I think the thing that really kind of pushes him over the edge, though, is when the guy says, like, oh, why aren't you sleeping in your coffin? <laughs> Which Angel does not like in the slightest. No. He's, you know what's funny, though? I it, This bit was funny. Um, but it felt like a spike line to me. <laughs> it, I Like, like I, 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 I don't... I want to say that like I disbelieve that Angel would get upset about this or that David Boreanaz didn't do a great job delivering this bit because it's very funny but I don't know there was just something very spikish about this uh resentment of the uh, uh of of these vampire stereotypes um and, and I think um I think that's like a nice little signal of the growing of Angel's character because mm-hmm. he kind of had like pretty much the one mode in Buffy, but now that he's the main protagonist of this show, he has to, you know, he can't just be broody guy. He's got to be, he's got to have layers. Yeah. Well, I would argue he had two modes. It was brood or murder. But yes. <laughs> well, that was in Jealous. Uh, but um, yeah, and uh, Angel kind of. Uh, tries to insinuate that this guy's chasing Barney for a reason, 
Barney does admit that he uses his powers to cheat a little bit at cards or fights, and uh, he's like, hey, man, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm a demon, and I'm evil, but I'm not, you know, evil. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, it, it sucks, because he is evil. He is the, he yeah. is the evil that he's talking about. We'll get to that. Um, then we get to Cordelia's audition. Um poor cordelia uh i it's actually i'm very impressed by how they managed to make this scene both sad and funny yes like because it is funny her like she's you know she's having this audition she's it's a stupid commercial where she's like the wife and she's like when you spray on the thing and rub it it's completely gone but she has like a complete breakdown and at the very end, she's like, it's completely gone. And it's like, I feel for her. But also... But I'm also the, laughing. The reactions from the people auditioning are so funny. Because they're like, oh, okay. Um, interesting choice. Um, maybe... <laughs> this, is the, <laughs> this is the second most uncomfortable TV audition I've ever seen. With the most <laughs> uncomfortable being, oh my god, there's a fire sale! <laughs> sale. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they give her the note to try it again, um, but this time happy because the stain's gone and that's a good thing. <laughs> it's like people don't like stain. By the way, I believe these, uh, these directors have... Um, I think they have more patience than an actual Hollywood director would for an audition. It's like, I think oh, you yeah. get one shot and then you're done. But they're just like, oh, you know, like, stains are bad. We don't want stains. So why don't you give it another shot? Yeah. Like, I could see if, like, if she did it, like, well the first time and then they wanted her to do it again. Because, you know, that happens in auditions where you do it and then the the director's like, let me see that again, but like this time do it in a different this way. way. Yeah. yeah, but that's usually if you did it well the first time. Like if, if, if you do it real bad, they go, "Okay, bye." But um no, they uh they they give her another chance, so good on them, and she um she starts to get into it and then wham shot twist she has a vision. Did you just say wham shot? <laughs> what is what is a wham shot? It sounds like it sounds like a George Michael ejaculation. Uh, ew. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's a uh, it's a so it's an actual trope on TV tropes. It's a wham shot or wham line or wham episode. It's basically like uh, it's the moment that the twist happens. So like. Oh. Um, I've never heard that term before. Yep, it's on TV Tropes. Uh, look at that. I spend so much time on TV Tropes. I love TV Tropes. Um, but, uh, you yeah. You get a hobby, man. I, that is my hobby, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unemployed and sad. Let me be on TV Tropes. All right, you be um, on TV Tropes. Um, but, yeah, I... It's so weird, like, looking back to think of this as, like, a twist, because having visions is so 
to to me, having seen the entire series um, and knowing her entire arc, um, the visions are so central to to Cordelia's story. Um, yeah. And it's it's just kind of funny to me to kind of watching this episode being like, oh my god, this was a twist. Like, or I don't know, maybe it wasn't. Maybe maybe everyone knew that's what was going to happen. But um, well, they did show at the end of. Um at the end of hero when doyle does give that kiss mm-hmm. you do see as i mentioned in there's our a hero episode between them. there is a little like wisp of light um it's not our voice leaving uh like uh <laughs> in hush but it is um that was the passage of the visions and i believe in the uh previously on segment they draw a little more attention to it by making it blue um a very noticeable blue uh, yeah, I yeah. I don't obviously I don't have the previously ons on our DVD, but I do remember w- watching it like on Netflix my first time. I yeah, I have a very vivid memory of the previously on. Like it's there in the episode Hero because I was I was watching for it when yeah. we watched the episode last week, but they definitely call it, it they don't call attention to it in the episode proper, but in the previously on they very very much do yeah um so we see that uh the man in leather is um tracking the demon he sees like this kind of yellow goo on the corner of a building so he decides to so he decides like oh this is gonna be uh it's gonna be what i'm looking for and uh cordelia um yeah, Cordelia's. It, uh, she comes home from the audition and then just, uh, and then just plants one on Angel. Hot. <laughs> yeah, Hot. Angel just. Angel just doesn't know what to do. He's. <laughs> he's like I, he's Cordelia, very much get... like I understand that you're like in pain right now. I am too, but I don't know that this is the healthy way to get through it. And Cordelia's not even like, fucking listening to him. Yeah, she's like, I didn't feel anything. Did you feel anything? He's like, no, like, that. that's the point. Like, it didn't feel anything. And that's when uh, Cordelia says that, um, that she thought that her kiss with Doyle was, you know, something that was important. Like, oh, he loves her. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why it was important. Turns out it was important for another reason because she has the visions now, and uh, and uh, when Cordelia sees Barney come out of the bathroom, she immediately goes to kiss him. Uh, <laughs> so, and uh, um, so do you think? Obviously, Cordelia believes that Doyle um, purposely passed the visions on to her. Um, and we never really get a clear answer, but do you think that the, that he did that on purpose? Like, um, there's no indication uh, that he knew that he could do that. Yeah. Um, um, he, well, he didn't really know too much about the visions except what he learned as he got them. Uh, so if I had to guess, I would say that he didn't know that he could pass on the visions. I believe that, um, he just had this um he his last moment his last interaction with someone was with cordelia person that he really loves and i mean 
that uh, that kiss did have some oomph to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I believe that's obviously a factor in that he trusts her. He's he probably sees mm-hmm. her as like the most important person to him. So that's why the gift of the visions was able to move on to Cordelia. That's that's fair. Yeah, um, that's I guess there's also you could also maybe another theory that I was just kind of thinking of is that like he couldn't pass the visions on to her. Um, it was only in this moment before his death that the powers that be may possibly did it. Um, That's probably a more logical interpretation. Maybe, maybe even if they hadn't have kissed, they're like, uh, I don't, I don't know. But um, Cordelia definitely seems to think he did it on purpose, and she's pissed. <laughs> she is. I mean, very unhappy. She, yeah. Well, I mean, she says like, "Oh, remember how those visions look painful." They hurt even more. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they feel even worse. Um, of course, uh, Barney thinks he's the luckiest guy in the world because he's <laughs> like, "Man, you guys treat your customers great here." Um, but uh, Angel says that he's going to uh, look for this. He's going to look for this uh, motorcycle guy, um, and Barney. He's going to leave Barney with um, with Cordelia. And, uh, and he's like, oh, and if you had a vision... I'm sorry, just... I need to read... Oh, finish your sentence and I have to something real quick. Oh, it, uh, yeah, and he's like, um, you had a vision, just try to draw it, because all she could really describe it as is a gray blobby thing, which, in all okay. fairness, turns out to be kind of what that is. So, yeah, I don't expect Cordelia to know a random piece of uh decoration at a random hotel in la <laughs> yeah um i just saw this and i just want to read it because it's great this is going to be our uh, buffy wiki line of the week <laughs> um cordelia embarks on a kissing spree to rid herself of this unwanted gift <laughs> yeah i just really like that embarks on a kissing spree well, <laughs> That's when you, describing when you me set at the out, end of COVID. <laughs> when you set out on a spree, you don't just start a spree. You got to embark on it. It's like an it's an epic quest. <laughs> Angel finds like this low rent motel that uh, Barney is staying at. Goes to uh, his room and tries to uh, you know kind of see any. Uh, see any indication that that motorcycle guy's there, but he doesn't see anything. So he goes into the room and uh, then hears a sound behind him and he sees a guy, uh, a guy pushes him into the room and uh, he turns around, sees a crossbow at his chest and as yeah. steps into the light, who can it be now? It is Wesley Wyndham Price. Yay, Wesley! Or um, probably, the... as is more accurate at the time, fans were probably going, "Really, Wesley?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just like if there are those of you who are only following our Angel episodes in season three, after Giles in season three of Buffy, after Giles was uh, ejected from the Watchers Council of being uh, Buffy's Watcher. They sent a replacement uh, in the form of Wesley Wyndham Price, a 
Also, Brit- a much younger British man, uh, but kind of a doof. Mm. Um, very, very clumsy, though knowledgeable, which fortunately carries over into Angel. Um, uh, Wesley was supposed to be the watcher of both uh, Buffy and Faith, uh, but as he says and later in this episode... Poorly. Yeah, as he says later in this episode, he was sacked by the Watchers Council because uh, of the two of the two Slayers he was supposed to watch. One went crazy and into a coma, and the other is a renegade. So yep. yeah. <laughs> Although at this point he insists that he was not sacked. That they, they had a, a he he left them because he didn't agree with their practices. Which no one fucking buys. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, and it's great because uh, Wesley at first seems to be very uh, seems to be very intimidating, and he says, "I'm the one asking the questions." Until Angel just, you know, throws his crossbow against the wall. <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, so so you had a question, and. Uh, Filling in on, um, filling Angel in, he is now a rogue demon hunter, uh, and he's been tracking a demon, and, uh, Angel says, oh, yeah, I think I know him, he's a short, kind of grubby-faced guy, um, and Angel's like, I don't know if I'd call him short, uh, he's kind of fairly large, actually, and he... And he is oozing this uh, really gonna ye- uh, thick yellow fluid. And uh, as he's saying this, this th- thick yellow fluid is falling onto, um, falling onto Wesley's. Uh, I almost said Giles there, falling onto Wesley's <laughs> uh, new leather coat. Which I honestly feel really bad for that leather coat because it's a nice leather coat. Um, it was nice. And this causes a. Uh, this causes Wesley and Angel to both look up and see this big old demon. The uh, guy, as we will learn. The guy, yes. Um, he beats up uh, both Angel and Wesley. However, Wesley is able to get his uh, crossbow and shoot in the leg. So uh, this leads the uh, demon to scream out in pain and run away as fast as he can. Um, yeah, and in the end... In just like a just about ten minutes into the episode, ten more minutes into the episode, we're gonna feel really bad about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's go back to Angel's apartment where Cordelia is trying to sketch this uh, ugly gray blobby thing from her <laughs> vision. Um, Barney is trying to talk to Cordelia. He can sense that she's feeling grief, and he immediately assumes that that's why. Uh, She's drawing. It's a kind of mechanism to deal with grief. She doesn't like people poking around in her head. Yeah. Um, especially because Cordelia really finds her. Cordelia really presents herself as a guarded person, and mm-hmm. uh, and so obviously she was just kind of getting used to having feelings about Doyle. So now that she has all this grief piled on top of that, she doesn't seem too eager to share it. Um, except maybe with yeah. Angel. Uh, so the having somebody kind of like pry into those feelings, that can be pretty invasive. And I can understand yeah. Cordelia's reaction. Yeah, she definitely 
yeah, this guy's a stranger. She has no idea who he is. Um, and she obviously fears that, or feels that this grief over Doyle's death is something that she and Angel should be sharing together. And, and she's not, yeah, she's obviously not willing to share it with anyone else, let alone someone that she does not know. Um, uh, and, uh, I also want to say, I'm going to make a note on an outfit this episode. Um, Cordelia's outfit, her green top is hot. I love that outfit. It is so, yeah, Yeah. it's, she looks good. Her hair is really good this week too. Like, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's got a lot of body to it. mm Mm-hmm. Cordelia was like, Cordelia was like, I need to honor Doyle properly. I need to be at maximum hotness. Yeah. <laughs> Something that would have made his mouth drop. Um, but, uh, but, uh, oh, and I actually suggested to Harrison this week's gay oh, yeah. agenda involving an outfit. I don't know if that's what you, if that's what you ended up going with, uh, as you uh, are yeah, the gay no, expert. I am, I, yes, I am an expert at it. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm there with you. Uh, l- leather looks good on Wesley. Uh, I, I don't, I don't love the, his, um, the, uh, chafing he experiences, but, uh, otherwise, uh, yeah. The sacrifices we make for hotness. <laughs> it just feels like, you know, you could just wear underwear. Like, that, that should, um... Dude, you can shape with underwear still. That's true, but the way he's talking, it, it feels like he's going <laughs> like he's going commando, and he's like, it's rubbing real hard on his balls. Um, and listen, if I need to rub real hard, anyway, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Just picture their audience in their underwear. <laughs> I mean, let, now, okay, now, Alexis Denisov in his underwear. Okay, mate, we can talk. <laughs> Alexis, yeah, it's call. like it's like um, I will use the picture of the audience in their underwear if I am performing for the entire Buffy and Angel cast. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. then I'll do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could perform the entire HMS Pinafore if I'm doing that. <laughs> but uh, just a reminder to the audience that I am straight. However, I appreciate hotness of all genders. Very nice. Uh, I didn't expect uh, this episode to get so horny. Uh, I should have, but, you know, I didn't. Uh, but yeah, um, Cordelia is immediately defensive with this guy, but when she kind of sees that she's being a tad rude, she decides to just tell a little bit about Doyle, and mm-hmm. we hear all this stuff that she really kind of should have told Doyle when they were when he was alive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, this is again, their way of saying goodbye to him, uh, yeah. in this adventure. Uh, but yes, um, as she's doing that, Angel comes downstairs with Wesley and, uh, Barney's immediately like, oh my God, you brought him here? And <laughs> Angel is, uh, Angel is, uh, trying to, you know, calm him down while he's doing that. Uh, Cordelia just immediately walks up to Wesley. Wesley's like, oh, Cordelia, Angel didn't tell me. And just 
and just plants one on him, which he, of course, returns. And uh, remember the last far greater success than yeah. uh, than the last. Remember the last time they kissed? Oh. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, it's so awkward, but they were into it this time. Or at least yeah. Wesley was. <laughs> um, no, I think Cordelia was a little too. When she when she breaks the kiss off, she does have a bit of a moment of like, whoa. Like, the funny like thing that? is that she didn't even realize it was Wesley until after the kiss. <laughs> but yeah, that, oh, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And it's funny because they even comment on how much better that kiss is than the last one that they had. But yeah, uh, then she's like, ah, I still have the visions. Angel decides to... Or, Angel directs um, Wesley to the uh, to the library as Angel it, and uh, he's also telling Barney that like okay so he's chasing you, um, so he's not chasing you he's chasing a demon that was after you, and uh, in this case um, Wesley's quick with the books because he immediately sees that it is a kungai as you said before yes. is a demon of Asian origin. And uh, and uh, Wesley says, "Oh well, he did he he did start to uh, head to an Asian section of town, and uh, it, which turns out to be Koreatown. Mm-hmm. So Angel decides to uh, Angel's like, all right, I'm going to get it.' He's like, well, no, you're not. I'm going. I'm going as well. And Angel says, no, I'm I'm working alone because I took somebody with me before, and now they're dead." So, so yeah, it's, we, we obviously see a lot of the grief in Mm -hmm. Cordelia in this episode, but this is probably one of the few times that we see the grief in Angel. Um, we got obviously how much he wanted the oracles to bring him back, but, uh, everything since then has been more subtle. He, he's really kind of like tried to dive into this case. And, uh, this is our kind of hint of how Angel's really feeling right now. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, he's doing exactly what Cordelia called him out on at the beginning of the episode is, you know, his, his tendency to, um, to turn that stuff inward and, uh, you know, take on those emotions on his own without any support, um, from, from someone else. Um, and it's so, it's so interesting how willing he is to help Cordy through her grief but is really reluctant, it seems, to allow Cordy to do the same for him. Um, some people are like that, though. Um, some people oh, find yeah. that the best way that they can deal with grief is to help other people. And and it's not a bad thing, but at the same time, if you're using that to avoid your grief, uh, that's mm-hmm. not great. No. But and it's I totally it's something also, that Angel I do. I think do. it hurts Cordelia, too. I think it is... By by not giving her that outlet that she needs as well, um, the, I mean the the two of them have a really symbiotic relationship, and it's um, and Angel's kind of uh, resisting that this week, yeah, um, because of his grief. And you know, I think we, mm-hmm. I think he comes around by the end of the episode, and they, uh, with Cordelia's help and with Wes- Wesley's help. This is what so Wesley decides. So Wesley stays behind because Angel tells him to, and uh, and uh, yeah, he, this is when he mentions the chafing to the leather pants. Uh, yeah. But um, 
Uh, Angel decides to start with a uh, demon spa, um, or a spa that caters to demons. And uh, while the clerk is originally like, oh, we absolutely do not uh, serve a Kong guy here because they scare people, uh, he hands him a 50. Angel hands him a 50. He's like, oh, he's in the back. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, the wiki... Good old Angel getting the job done. <laughs> the wiki describes the desk clerk as belligerent. And I did I don't think that's fair. I did, he seems pretty collected. Like I, just a strange choice he, of words. Like the, yeah, the, I guess the, he's belligerent. He's he's belligerent towards uh, Angel's cause, but uh, yeah. I mean, it, it from the looks of the establishment it is meant to be a kind of a you know. What's the word I'm looking for? Like you want to keep secrets or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's um like an underground. Uh, yeah, um, there's a there's an adjective for like, it, but um, I can't I can't think of it right now. Very uh, like discretionary, discreet. Um, yeah, yeah, discreet. There it is. <laughs> God, Jason can't remember the word discreet. God, it's okay. <laughs> but um, this is a very discreet place, and um, but you know, fifty bucks. Who the hell cares? <laughs> um, after finding a uh, guy who's looking for a shiatsu massage, um, and and not helping him either. No, he's like just a total dick angel. You could have just said, "Sorry, man, I don't know. I don't work here." Um, just walks away. Um, um, he goes. I love the... the this continuing trend of, um, uh, you know, we're seeing it more so on Angel, but it's. Uh, starting to pop up a little on uh, Buffy too, and we'll see it there. But this this trend of just some demons just trying to live their lives, man. Not like yeah, and them know, appearing in these just, regular just circumstances. Want to make a buck? Want to get a massage? It, it, yeah, very much. Kind of like this is the legacy that Willie the Snitch hath wrought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Willie the Snitch, love him. <laughs> oh, Bob. <laughs> but uh, but. So he finds the uh, he finds the kung guy on a table, and um, oh, by the way, Angel totally speaks Korean. Um, oh yeah, we just totally yeah. breezed past that. We did. Um, um, <laughs> I would imagine that while Angel speaks Korean, um, I'm just gonna guess uh, that David Boreanaz does not speak Korean. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not talking about David Boreanaz. <laughs> we're talking about Angel. Um, but yes, uh, so he's able to understand what the what the uh, nurse is telling him about the kung guy because the kung guy is actually on a uh, medical table and uh, just kind of twitching and stuff, and she's telling him that he's dying, and uh, he's trying mm-hmm. to say something. He also notices because when Wesley found out earlier what the kung guy was. The Kungai have a horn that drains the es- the life essence from whoever gets stabbed by it. This, uh, but the horn is missing, and uh, that's kind of what that fluid was. It was pretty much just the demon's blood, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what's causing it to basically be there dying. Um, Angel can't Angel can't understand what the Kungai is saying, but um, there's someone who can. And it is, and it is uh, Wesley Wyndham Price who shows up now in one of his more traditional suits. 
Uh, I hate it. I hate it. Oh, it, it seems oh, such a so weird horrible. thing to do. It's, I guess oh, so ugly. I guess he really had to get it. out of that okay. cha- those chafing pants. <laughs> it's very much a stuffy suit, but uh, it also seems a little big on him. I'm not gonna lie. Yes, uh, it it does not fit him. And I know that was kind of the thing, like in the late '90s, early aughts, that like the, the suits were a little big on you. There's but ugh, it, a bad 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 uh badness i hate it so much uh but he mentions that he has a he shows up and he says that he has a a a small limited understanding of the language which involves a lot of grunts and clicks um and uh it's really fun to see alexis Sinisoff have those words with the clicks in there um (laughs) Uh, and he, um, he's listening to this, uh, Kungai saying it's final words and says that, um, he's dying. He was hunted by someone who can, by a demon who is a heart reader. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he has one, he keeps saying one word that's the, uh, that Wesley can't understand. Um, but that was his dying word. And Angel immediately realizes empath heart reader and that means cordelia's in trouble yep um i do have to say though uh it wasn't until barney starts showing an interest in cordelia's in cordelia's visions that when i really started to truly suspect him so i mean i think uh who's the guy who plays barney um uh maury sterling does a very good job of of portraying the demon on the run. Um, I, I think like he's, it's mm-hmm. not somebody you would immediately suspect uh, being the bad guy of this episode. Um, so you just said that name, and it it made something happen in my brain, and I went, "Why do I know the name Maury Sterling?" Uh, it's because he was a. Um, he was an actor on Homeland, basically for its entire run. He was a, um, he was a, a significant recurring character for the the whole run of the show. So, um, I was like, that name sounds so familiar. Anyway, yeah, I'm looking at that, and uh, yeah, he was on 45 episodes of Homeland. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. I I think he was like recurring for most of the series, and then for the, like the I think he was a. Uh, a regular in the last two seasons, if I remember correctly. But Ooh, um, this is this is cool. Apparently he is a recurring voice on um in the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic video game series. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, he's I, got a lot of voiceover work it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um and then a lot of a lot of one offs here. He was in Dollhouse an episode of Dollhouse. Huh. He was in both the series Angel and Touched well, by an job. Angel. Good job, Maury Sterling. So that's fun. We don't see those uh, two series crossover that much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's usually Star Trek. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no way. He was in an episode of Boy Meets World. Cool. All right. Anyway, uh, yeah, good job, Maury Sterling, on just a, a varied career. Yeah, at this point, uh, Barney 
who has been listening to Cordelia talk about the visions, um, uh, it's revealed that um, he is talk. He's on the phone with somebody, and uh, he's got. He's got. He says that he not only stole the horn from the Kungai demon, but he has found a seer, and uh, yeah, so pretty menacing right here. Um, mm -hmm. And at this point, it's when uh, he starts turning it. Uh, he basically starts flipping his switch and uh, being aggressively insulting cord towards Cordelia. And I think yeah. probably the. Uh, I think probably the the meanest thing that he says, um, he's like, "Oh, so what? You're a twenty something," and uh, Cordelia's not even twenty yet. I was to say, at the oldest, she's nineteen. Yeah, I'm sure that she thought that, like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? He does attempt to uh, basically just kind of tie her up, but she like tries to fight him. She tries to fight back. Does a pretty decent job. Um, yeah, I especially right enjoy. Yeah, I especially enjoy when she thinks when she decides like, oh, I'm having a vision. I see a demon, and he's in pain. <laughs> that just kicks him right in the nards. Love it. Delivers delivers a blow to his package. Love it. <laughs> um, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Barney says, oh, you know, it'd be nice if you would. Uh, come quietly because so, you know bruising really brings down the cost of the merchandise cordelia decides to scream but uh he punches her and says like you know it doesn't bring it down that much yeah um angel and wesley get back to the apartment they see that cordelia is not there um they see the uh broken they see like the broken uh broken dish i believe it was uh, i think it's called angel cup. Is a coffee cup? Oh yeah. yeah, poor Angel. She was making like... making him coffee. Um, That's right. Before he That's attacked right. her. Um, yeah, it feels kind of bad that uh, I feel kind of bad for Angel's uh, utensils and plates <laughs> and cups wear. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they they are. I mean, do you remember it? Like when Spike was just throwing them everywhere and just yeah. wrecked the kitchen. <laughs> it's like that, that that stuff isn't cheap. I mean, no, no, no. I bet Angel's thrifty though. He he and you know, he knows that in his line of work, um, broken dishes are just, you know, they're gonna happen. So he probably buys pretty cheap for where he can. Uh I don't think he buys them too cheap though, because remember he is like kind of a neat freak. And I feel true. like neat freaks wanna have little nicer quality of stuff and that just emphasizes their neat freakishness. Yeah, you're right. So we've got kind of these We've got the duality of Angel. We've got things like <laughs> old man frugal, but also like really vain. So. <laughs> old man frugal. I mean, he has had a bicentennial. Mm -hmm. um, Remember that time he just found a mansion and was like, guess I'll live here. I'm... <laughs> and then made it By a the really nice place to live. Chains yeah. and all. Um, <laughs> Just so everyone knows that that mansion thing, I'm never, I'm never gonna let up on it for the rest <laughs> of my life. Well, we'll have it. We'll have a different uh, next season of Angel. We'll have a different thing to focus on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of my favorites. But uh, yeah, until then, um, this is when Wesley, uh, in his in his despair, uh, reveals what actually happened—that he was fired from the Watchers Council. 
Um, and all and of he's us kind of like, what? No. <laughs> Who you, the greatest watcher ever? <laughs> um, in all fairness, though, he didn't really get a fair shot at being a watcher because no. they they really set him up for a failure. Like, yeah, they they yeah, had like, him set him up with two slayers, both of which were known to cause trouble. Like, um, yeah, and at this point, Buffy. Rightfully so, by the way. I'm not trying... I'm I'm feeling sympathy towards Wesley, not towards the Watcher's Council. Yeah. At this point, Buffy was done with the Watcher's Council. So, she didn't give a fuck. And, um, and Faith, as we Faith revealed... never gave a fuck. Yeah, yeah, she's crazy. Um, but, uh... But, yeah, so... Um, Angel... Angel's looking for clues and Wesley's belly aching and whining because like, oh, I'm terrible. I'm the worst. Um, but Angel does eventually... What? Just when he, Angel finds the picture and he goes... He's not even listening to Wesley. And he goes, ugly gray blob thing. And Wesley's just like, you're right. I'm an ugly gray blob thing. What? <laughs> <laughs> um... You know, though, I will say I, I sympathize with uh, Wesley in this moment, but I was also right there with Angel where I wanted to reach in my television and be like, be like slap him across the face and be like, get your shit together. Get all your shit, pack it up together, put it in a bag. <laughs> I love Rick and Morty so much. <laughs> well, I, I love Wesley, but he he did start to grate on me a little bit in this scene. I was like, come on, man. Um, I mean... He, and he, he did. But, he, I mean, he this got his is, shit together, and so I was fine. Again, in all fairness to Wesley, this is very much his character. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't blame him for having this reaction. However, yeah, he does need to get his shit all together, put in a bag. Um, but uh, Angel sees the uh, drawing that Cordelia had been making... And recognizes it as a sculpture uh, called Maiden with Urn. And so he looks it up and uh, finds out that it is uh, owned by a hotel chain. Um, and Wesley, meanwhile, has been looking up the Kungai phrase. And he says that it means, it translates to literally collar sale. So, um... And that's when he realizes, oh, it means auction. So they're able to... Uh, so Angel decides to start calling and finding out where the statue's located. Um, so Cordelia I mean, good job, up. Angel, by identifying this statue from Cordelia's terrible drawing. <laughs> I mean, it's not... In all fairness, this is a... Uh, the statue itself is kind of an amorphous blob. It's a, so I, I just googled this because I wanted to make sure I wasn't insulting something real. Um, but it's an ugly fucking statue. <laughs> like now, it's not, not ugly it. just because you don't like it. I mean, That's art is I don't like it. Different people. <laughs> That's fair. You've You're made right. that art, abundantly clear. Art is subjective. Art is subjected. But I, I yeah. was just like, why would a hotel put that in their lobby? Like, I'd walk right out of that hotel. I'd be like, I'm going to the Hilton across the street, man. Yeah. 
But uh, Cordelia wakes up and finds that she has been bound and gagged, and not the good kind of bound and gagged. Um, <laughs> man, we really did make this episode a lot hornier than we should have. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the material in this episode really is not justifying it, but... Uh... <laughs> This is just what we do. It's booze and Buffy. Yeah. And I'm horny always. <laughs> always. Um, but she sees the statue and realizes, oh, hey, that's the thing for my vision. Um, but uh, then she also notices that there's a table with a lot of body parts on it. And uh, she hears people coming and Barney shows up. And uh, with his weird partner, Hank... This guy's weird. Like, it seems like they were trying to set him up to be an important supporting character, but... Yeah. He's really not. Yeah, I think he exists to get us to the exposition of why they don't just kill Cordelia. Um, Yeah, because this guy guy is really, really looking forward to extracting Cordelia's eyes. Yeah, eyes of a seer. Um, Yeah, remember in the Matrix Revolutions, the Merovingian wanted to eat the eyes of the the, uh, Oracle. So, um, have you seen the Matrix Revolutions? Literally. So, I remember, remember, like, a month or two back, I told you, like, I'm watching the Matrix Revolutions today. Okay. I didn't. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was Revolutions or Reloaded. Yeah, I had already seen Reloaded at the time, uh, for the first time, and, um... I was, like, after we finished uh, our recording session, I was going to go watch Revolutions, and then I got on HBO Max, and it wasn't there anymore. So, but they put it back up on HBO Max at some point, and I watched it, like, a week or two back. Um, And I, while I thought it, I did think it was a step down in quality from the first two, I also think that the insane amount of hate it got it's not deserved a little overblown although there is one thing about that movie i did truly truly hate um and that was the way trinity died um yeah and also the way that uh, keanu reeves god um there was a time that keanu reeves wasn't viewed as like this holy figure of cinema um and it's Mm -hmm. the times like this because his his acting towards trinity's death is terrible it's really like, bad yeah um I, I would have to say that uh the thing about keanu reeves is that the movies that he chose to be in caught up with his acting abilities that's why he's so good in john wick because all he has to be is like this emotionless killer and hey that's what keanu reeves does well um, <laughs> murder um I, it's really funny though because Based on the casting for the fourth Matrix movie, um, in which uh, Carrie Ann Moss, I almost said Carrie Coon, but uh, Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves are going are back for it, but Lawrence Fishburne isn't. I went into Revolutions going, oh, guess I guess Morpheus is going to die, and the other two live, and it's it's the opposite of that. Um, We'll but, see what happens yeah, I, when uh, whenever I that happens. Was, I I thought it was fine, but um, yeah, people fucking hated it, which is honestly why I kind of stayed away for so long, was because of it how is, how aggressive the hate towards those two sequels are. 
It is if you look at um, if you look at the Matrix and the Matrix Revolutions. Revolutions is drastically different from the Matrix, which mm-hmm. many people hold as like you know a um, a sacred cow of the science fiction genre. But uh, when you look at the whole trilogy, the progression makes sense. Oh yeah, it makes yeah. When you throw Reloaded in there, it's like oh, I can easily see where the matrix how the matrix evolved to here and it's obviously setting up the matrix revolutions which i believe both of those movies came out in the same year mm-hmm. revolutions and reloaded uh but anyway back to this auction mm-hmm. um uh so cordelia is being put up uh to auction right after the horn from the kungai uh and um un- and uh so she immediately tries to say like oh you know i've only had one vision so i'm not really a seer and uh barney decides to open up the bidding at uh two thousand dollars um the bidding does get a little uh does slow down a bit and so cordelia being cordelia gets offended um, I would like to say that this was her buying time, but I feel like it's much more Cordelia's like, I am worth more than $11,000. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, yes, you're, there's like, there is the practicality, but she even at the, later, at the end of the episode, she's like, he started out the bidding at $2,000. Like, she's, she, girl knows what she's How worth. dare you? How <laughs> like, dare you? Um, even but in life and death situations... Um, where she's being trafficked, she's going to make sure before she gets out of there and kills the guy trying to do this for her that she has a good amount of money placed on her. We also see that there is a lawyer from Wolfram mm-hmm. and Hart, which is the first time we've seen them in a little while. Uh, yeah, I guess it's that... been... Hmm. Gosh, I can't even remember the last time we've we've dealt with Wolfram and Hart. Yeah, their presence has been so small so far obviously we're gonna tell you guys that eventually changes but uh we're kind of just getting like all we all we're getting is like oh they've obviously taken an interest in angel um they remark how like oh it's angel's fault that uh they weren't able to acquire cordelia hard as they might try because the bidding war ends with uh 30 with uh the representative wolfram and hard bidding thirty thousand dollars but i will say um one of my favorite parts of this bidding war is the one between the two people in black. And yeah. <laughs> eventually the one on the the one on the left just smashes her paddle and smashes his paddle into the one on the right, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah. why don't people do that at auctions? <laughs> <laughs> With the auction over, they take Cordelia back and um they they're they're negotiating with the Wolfram and Hart lawyer. She doesn't get a name. Um, she's not apparently. She's not uh, apparently, her name's Mac, according to the uh, wiki. I thought I thought Mac was the guy that was. Oh no, Hank was the guy. Hank is the guy. Yeah, no, Mac is played by uh, Dominique Jennings. Oh, okay. Um. And it looks like she only... This is her only appearance, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, I never heard her name said on screen, so I 
That's almost certainly one of those you learn this character's name in the credits situations. Yeah. Um, but uh, my apologies, Mac, uh, for not knowing your name. Um, but they're they're haggling over um, over an additional fee to have Cordelia's eyes removed. Um, they Barney uh, says that you know it's going to be this much money, and she's like. Um, no, removing the eyes is standard. Everyone knows that. Like, yeah, I mean, duh. Oh, uh, duh. Don't know that you're, don't know that you're stupid. This is a racket. Um, <laughs> but uh, she finally gives in. Um, uh, and they're about to remove her eyes. Uh, just in time for Angel and Wesley to pull their big damn heroes moment. Yep. Yeah, there's a tussle. Uh and um uh Wesley like tries to help Angel fight and Angel's basically like, "No. You go like untie Cordelia. Like I'll handle this part." <laughs> now, before uh before they departed for the hotel, um Wesley did tape a uh knife to his leg. <laughs> yes. However, Throughout this entire scene, he is unable to get it out of the tape. Yep. <laughs> yep. Chekhov's knife, not so much. Um, <laughs> it, it's really funny because he tries to get it and he falls over. He tries again <laughs> and falls over again. And <laughs> Cordelia's like, what the fuck? Same old and... Wesley. He eventually finds a... Uh, he eventually finds a horn. Um, I don't think it's... I don't think it's no. the tack horn. I think it's a no, different, it's, like, it's it's almost like a claw. Yeah, I would say it's more curved. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a claw. Um, I think it's just one of those random, like, things they were auctioning off. Um, and But, yeah, he uses it to cut Cordelia free. Um, yay. Mm-hmm. You did something good, Wesley. You're not a big, ugly, dumb gray blob. <laughs> <laughs> He's certainly not ugly. No. <laughs> but yeah, so they are trying to get out, but that's when Barney uh, attacks Wesley. Wesley's not having it. Um, but uh, hard as he tries, Barney is still like a little stronger being a demon. Mm-hmm. And he's really about to like just start pounding uh, into Wesley when Cordelia grabs the horn from the Kungai and stabs him in the back. Um, and uh, remember, the horn drains the life force of whoever gets hit by it. And so, yeah, this guy like basically just kind of like shrivels up and it's gone. I'm really glad that it's Cordelia who gets the, the killing blow here. Um, it's... Uh, I mean, you know, I like... I like when the person who's been victimized the most by the villain gets to take that villain out. Um, but it also, you know, helps uh, get us away from the um, uh, the damsel-y place that they, they steer Cordelia into um, here at the end of this episode. Um, it, it reminds me of Scully a bit. You know, sometimes she'll get captured and taken hostage, but, you know... She'll just as frequently get herself out and save herself um, in those situations, too. But, uh, yeah. And so uh, Angel dispatches the rest of the guys. And Oh, wow. 
So I wasn't even looking at the Buffy wiki when I said that, <laughs> I, or I wasn't looking at that exact thing. But then I like looked up and it said Angel dispatches the last of his foes. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, but yeah, so um, she's like, "Oh, you found me," and he's like, "Actually, I had the help from a rogue demon hunter." Uh, so yeah, aw. Um, at this point, Crazy. Mac the Mac the lawyer is walking out, and she's on the phone. She says, "All right, well, we can't really get the seer." I'll give you three guesses whose fault it is. So Angel is still on the radar of Wolfram and Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, back in Angel's apartment, uh, Cordelia is actually ironing out the drawing because it had gotten crumbled up uh, in the uh, in the scuffle in the with Barney. Yeah, and uh, but she wants to save it. She frames it, and uh, not only does she see it as a um, not only does she see it as like, oh, hey, this this vision helps save my life. The drawing helps save my life. But, you know, it's something of Doyle's, technically, the mm-hmm. visions. So it's an acknowledgement of yeah. the visions. And, hey, it's something that we can, like, you know, keep around. Um, yeah, it's, so, she finally gets that something physical to hold on to to help her with, with, with that closure she needs. I love it. Yep. And, uh... And Wesley is uh, trying to leave, but obviously hinting that he doesn't want to leave, um, as uh, Angel's uh, as Angel's cooking, and um, and uh, so and and Wesley doesn't seem to notice that there are two plates out. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, um, and it's finally, so funny. he's like, yeah, well, goodbye. And Cordelia's like, bye, keep in touch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's messing with him. Oh, it's so good. And then, but finally, they, Wesley actually lets leave and then come back. And he's like, when there's evil afoot, um, uh, the good shall overcome. And Angel's just like, do you want some breakfast, Wesley? And he's like, oh, okay. Um, it's a very, it's nice. And I like that what, Cordelia's like, this is great. Whenever we pull an all-night job, Angel makes us breakfast. It's really great. So weird that uh, he's a really good cook, even though he doesn't eat food. (laughs) Um, I like that they just got that in there because I literally was going, but why is Angel cooking? Um, (laughs) I mean, not that I would trust Cordelia to cook, but... Yeah, and so they, uh, they sit down... And this is kind of like the first little get-together of the future of Team Angel, of Angel Investigations. And uh, that is Parting Gifts. Um, I have to say, and I did notice there is like a note here on the Buffy Wiki. Despite the scene taking place in LA's Korean town, Koreatown, neither Angel nor the old woman tending to the demon speak proper Korean. Angel's lines are complete gibberish. And while the old while the old woman's lines are recognizable as Korean, her accent is completely off, and her speech is very childish. The only person who speaks Korean directly in the entire episode is a male character called Soon, which I'm guessing is the one who is running that. That was the, the the desk clerk. Yeah, yeah. I'm not shocked to hear that. I mean, <laughs> it's uh uh. N- n- most of the time when you're hearing foreign languages, especially languages that are less um, uh, less commonly spoken, 
uh, on television. Um, you, yeah, a lot of the times it's just nonsense. Yeah, we're not gonna bother with it. Um, I don't, I don't exactly like that idea, but I can't do anything to about this. This is an episode of the '90s, after all. Uh, <laughs> our last one, yeah. With that, we uh, we're closing out the booze and Buffy of the '90s. Goodbye, '90s. And uh, yeah, and um, I'm going to say that I think this this episode is good not great per se Mm -hmm. um but it's really hard to follow up hero with an equally amazing episode uh so i'm going to uh but this does this does its job it it reintroduces wesley and um it shows angel and cordelia both dealing with their grief um while having like a somewhat random story to do it with so uh i'm gonna go ahead and give it um four stars uh and by four stars i mean four uh statues that harrison thinks is are ugly out of five (laughs) um yeah i'm right there with you it um as I, i mentioned last uh in our last episode on hush i do think it gets a little overlooked because it's coming it's coming after a string of big episodes. You've, um, Something Blue's got the high concept and it's really funny. I Will Remember You, of course, is um, uh, just, you know, a big heartbreaker. Um, Hero, another big heartbreaker. Um, Hush, big concept. It's This episode is more standard. Um, yeah. It's not telling like a big story. Um, in fact, actually, it's telling quite a small story. It's telling quite an insular story about um, about saying goodbye to Doyle and about welcoming in Wesley to the team. Um, and while it's not like a banger, it's not big fireworks, it tells that story well. And it has a lot of really good um, character moments and character beats. And yeah, you're, the auction storyline's a little like, okay, it's it's there so that there's a, some danger in the episode. But... Um, but I think it's a really solid episode all around. So mm-hmm. I'm also going to give this one, um, I'm going to give this one four seers eyes out of five. Aha, uh-huh, that's enough for two seers or mm-hmm. one four eyed seer. <laughs> yes. Uh, in the Buffy verse, uh, uh, anything is possible. Um, except leprechauns, except leprechauns, of course. Um, yeah. And, uh, Welcome to the gang, Wesley. We're excited to have you. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We'll be back next week with Buffy Season 4, Episode 11, Doomed. I'm Jason. You can find me at Instagram, uh, on Instagram, at yamij 357 <laughs> Or if you want to, you can follow my, uh, my string of fictional stories detailing a chipmunk's descent into madness called the... Uh, called going nutty that i'm posting on uh word scribe <laughs> none of that's true i made that up wow. <laughs> literally just is, then is this your is this your gimmick now is this your thing i don't know maybe maybe i'll, I'll actually follow through but you gotta admit you wouldn't mind reading <laughs> a series of stories no. about a, a squirrel going on a, a chipmunk going nuts 
I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That's spelled C-O-F-F-M-A-N. I also have a blog where I talk about a different horror movie each week called Horror by Harrison.blogspot.com. Uh, this week I'm stepping out of my usual lane uh, and I'm going to talk two television episodes um, instead of one movie. I'm going to talk about the... Um, the classic X-Files episode, Home, which I believe I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I watched it. Um, and a little episode you might have heard of from Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Hush. Um, Whoa, that, that's a thing that we did. Um, and it's actually a complete coincidence that it lined up like as closely as it did. I did not realize... <laughs> When I, because I scheduled, I scheduled my whole year for the blog, like, in January. And, um, so I did, I did not realize that that was going to be lining up quite as closely as it did. But, um, you know, it actually, serendipitous works out pretty well. There you go. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy. Or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out in all four of those cases also please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts each week we like to give a shout out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. this week we're highlighting the coalition to abolish slavery and trafficking otherwise known as cast cast is a los angeles based nonprofit organization that is working to put an end to modern slavery and human trafficking through comprehensive life-transforming services to survivors, and a platform to advocate for groundbreaking policies and legislation. Visit www.castla.org for more information. And as always, go slay. And be gay. Goodbye. Bye.